0: Good morning. Welcome to the New Year's Eve edition of Ridge Church. Uh, a lot of our folks, some of which will be listening to this uh, recording, are still with family and traveling, and um, and we are excited for a new year. And so, happy New Year! Anybody have any New Year's resolutions? You do that? Anybody do that? No. S- heads shake. No. No resolutions. I mean, it's all over the Insta, right? I'm, I'm resolving to do this or that, new year, new you. Um, I was thinking about resolutions and uh, thinking about, what, what does that even mean? Right? I'm, I'm resolving to do something, right? I have a goal in mind, and I'm now resolving to uh, do this goal that I have conceived in my mind. Um, what's changed is that I'm now applying my will to this goal. I probably had this goal in my mind beforehand. I uh, would have agreed I should exercise regularly or eat healthy or read more or spend more time with friends. Uh, But now in 2024, I'm resolved to do those things. I believe those things in 2023, but now I'm resolving to do them in 2024. And oftentimes, We don't follow through on those resolutions. Now, God also makes resolutions. Did you know that? Um, And He always follows through on His resolutions. Whatever He resolves to do, He does. And one of the most important resolutions that God has made is to create a people for Himself. This is something that He has been resolving Uh, to do and fulfilling that resolution over uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, And even in times when it seemed very unlikely, God was still resolved to create a people for Himself. When things really seemed unlikely, He would oftentimes send a prophet to encourage the people of God, to remind them, no, God has resolved to do this, and you can trust that 100%. One such prophet was Isaiah, uh, who was speaking to an exiled people. The people of Israel had been scattered everywhere. It just looked like it's over, like any hope of having a people of God was over. And uh, the the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, and made. Sounds pretty resolute. Pretty resolute. God is resolved to create a people for Himself. He's absolutely committed to that. And not just among the people of Israel. He's also committed to bring people out of the many peoples of the world into His people that He's creating for Himself. The very next verse in Isaiah 43, verse 8, Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. And then in verse 9, all the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. So not only is God creating a people out of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but then he's bringing other nations, other peoples, and gathering them into a people. And doing that through a saving work, uh, he's saying there in Isaiah 53. And this is an amazing vision. Right? Saving many people out of every ethno-linguistic group on the planet and gathering them to himself as a unified people for his, his glory, right? his honor. How on earth would God do that, and right? how how would he do that? I think most Old Testament be- believers read Isaiah forty three and other places like that, and just sort of scratch their head. Um, maybe think some sort of a massive military effort that would go that God would undergo to bring people together like that—a totalitarian regime of sorts that would force God's hand on the nations. But we who are the New Testament people of God, have the privilege of knowing and participating in God's ultimate plan, fulfillment of His plan uh, to create one people from the many peoples of the earth. And so, how is He doing that? Short answer, the way He's doing that is through the church. He's doing it through the church. The church is like this culmination of this plan to gather peoples from all over the earth and, and bring them into one unified people. It was on Jesus' mind as he uh, taught and uh, discipled, yeah, he can hear his resolve in Matthew 16, when uh, he's talking to his disciples, he says to them, "But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus answered him, "Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven." And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's this individual profession of faith on Peter's part, but quickly Jesus moves from that individual reality to a communal reality of the church. He's going to build the church out of these individual converts to the good news of Jesus Christ. So, again, how, how does he do this? Right? This is what we want to talk about um, this morning. This is the, the long answer to what God is doing in gathering uh, the people, uh, people for Himself and how He plans uh, to do it. And we're looking at this uh, Matthew 28 passage that's probably familiar to, to many of you, most of you. Uh, if you put the Matthew 16 passage with the Matthew 28 passage, uh, it it, it kind of gives us the the vision, the big vision of Matthew 16. Jesus is going to build his church, uh, but Matthew 28 tells us how he's going to do it. Right, and you need both. You need the big picture of, of places like Matthew 16 uh, that let us know what the vision of where we're headed. Um, it's similar to. If you're going to build something, you need the vision, the plan of what you're going to build before you start in the nitty-gritty of the nails and the hammers and all, all, the, all, all the things that you're going to do to build something. It happened in this building, or it's in the process of happening in this building. We're having the heating and the, uh, the cooling replaced, which is why it's a little chilly in here because all the heating is, cooling has been pulled out as of last week. But that all started with a meeting at a table in the back there, And I'm sitting around with a bunch of guys that are all kind of dressed like me. Everyone's clean, you know, nobody's got any dirt on them or any any kind of a sweat. No one's sweating. We're all looking at plans on the table and how it's all going to play out and making a schedule. It was all very important work, but it wasn't like yesterday. When I walked in yesterday, there was five guys in that mechanical room, and they were sweating, and they were covered with dust, and they were lifting up these units. They were getting it done, right? And so Matthew 16 is more like sit around the table, this is what's going to happen. And Matthew 28 is more, okay, here's the nitty-gritty of what it's going to take to make it happen. And we're going to look at Matthew 28. So in Matthew 28, we're going to look at what is to be done, how is it to be done, and who is going to do it, this gathering of this people uh, of God. So again, I want to I read it again. I know it's familiar to most of you, but so we have it ringing in our ears as we talk through this. Matthew 28, verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is to be done? Uh, the making of disciples. This is God's plan for how He's going to gather a people uh, to Himself. A disciple is a learner, but more than a learner, more than a learning uh, learning, learning, of information. It's a, a kind of an apprentice, right? He's saying, I want you to make apprentices of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's more like lab than lecture, okay? It's not less than lecture, but it is more. When I was uh, at the University of Texas and I was taking organic chemistry, there was a one-hour lecture every week so we could understand what we were doing in the lab, but we spent four hours in the lab, and we would, would have this lecture, here's how you do it, right? And it's like, oh, that, that seems easy enough, and then you get in the lab. And it was not easy. In fact, I failed the first one and I had to retake it. It was so hard because I, I was ha- actually having to do uh, organic chemistry. And so what, what we're seeing here is, is this uh, sense of not just making pe- pe- people who know stuff, uh, but, but people who actually know how to live the stuff, live the truth uh, about who Jesus is and what the gospel Means um, this may sound a little weird to us. This making of apprentices, I think, for modern hearers, we say, "Well, why not a marketing campaign, or a political campaign, or a military campaign? Maybe that would be more uh, effective. Uh, maybe it would be quicker. Right? It would it would spread faster if we did something along those lines." And honestly, the church has fallen and continues to fall into the temptation of thinking that a marketing campaign or military campaign and political campaign are going to make this go faster. But in in the ancient world, this idea of an apprenticeship was really common, right? Because people weren't sitting in coffee shops, you know, tapping on computers. They were learning how to be a silversmith or how to be a farmer, And they were actually doing things with their hands. And so in order to learn that kind of information, you can't just sit in chairs and listen. You actually have to go do the thing, right? And so you would go follow a silversmith around and watch them do their thing. And then you would try it on for size and not do it that great. And they'd give you feedback. And over time, you would learn how to be a silversmith or a farmer or a rancher or whatever it is that you're trying to learn to do. And so this is more the idea of a disciple, is that of an apprentice, And the apprenticeship is to be an apprentice of Jesus, not of the pastor, not not of the church leaders, but actually an apprentice of Jesus. And this is important on a lot of levels, but one is is because Jesus is the center of the church. He is the foundation of the church. Um, Notice that when the disciples see the resurrected Jesus, they worship Him. This this is the fuel of the church, is is this Christ-exalting worship. This is why we say as a church we're centered on Christ. We think that's where the fuel is for all this other stuff we're going to talk about today. This is what's at the center, is this worship of Jesus. And so we sing songs about Jesus. We're going to hear a sermon that's centered on Jesus. We're going to take the bread and the cup later, and it's going to be about Jesus. Why are we doing this, right? Because we think this is at the center of the church, the heartbeat of the church, is this worship of Jesus. And and so pointing you to Christ is helping you become more and more of an apprentice to Jesus, the divine Son of God. This is the the, the kind of person who can say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That, That is no typical prophet, priest, or king. No prophet, priest, or king has ever said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But Jesus has said that. He is the divine Son of God in the flesh. He can say things like, I am with you always to the end of the age. No typical prophet, priest, king, guru, n- nobody can say that, but Jesus can. He is the center of the church. He's the foundation of the church. Um, and so apprenticing you to, to Jesus is so central to <laughs> what we're about as church. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11, verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for my souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, usually we, we think of that passage as a way to take a load off when we're feeling stressed, and, you know, it could be used to that way in a certain degree. Um, but really, that passage is about apprenticing to Jesus, right? Now, if you know what a, a yoke is, we don't really have a lot of yokes uh, around, uh, but this is what a yoke is, right? And so he's saying, okay, yoke up with me. Yoke up with Jesus, apprentice with Jesus. And uh, this, is, this is what it means to be a um, disciple. This is different than other religions, very different. Um, most reli- religions have some kind of combination of, of moral behaviors, Uh, So, for example, uh, Confucianism would be very high moral behavior, like Confucius says this, you should do it, right? Or mystical experiences, so like Tibetan Buddhism would be like this. We're trying to have experiences of of the divine in some sense. Or religious practices, Islam would be a good example of this. Um, Even though most people who practice Islam do not know Arabic, they pray prayers in Arabic. <laughs> Why? Because it's about the ritual. It's about the religious practice. Um, and Christianity does have some of these kinds of things, right? Morality, mysticism, and religious practice. But these are a means of doing something much greater, and that is following Jesus. Actually following Jesus, being an apprentice to Jesus, not merely trying to have some spiritual experience with the mystic, mysticism, or follow some kind of moral teaching or follow through with some kind of religious practices. They're a means of actually following the resurrected and currently active Jesus. That's exciting. We're not just here doing religious stuff, <laughs> we're not just trying to follow rules. I'm not just trying to go through some kind of practices, guys, the resurrected Jesus is active in our lives and in our little congregation right here in Austin, Texas. He is at the center of the church. So how do we make these apprentices if 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 what is to be done is to to help people become apprentices to Jesus, how do we pull that off? Well, the short answer is train, okay, train. Um, In Matthew 28, the, the church is told to baptize new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and told to teach disciples to observe or obey everything that Christians have been commanded to be and do. So the first instruction is to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's training, to some degree, in doctrine of the Christian faith. You can't be baptized in this way until you have a basic understanding of who God is, right? The triune God, one God, three persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In order for you to be baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, you've got to have at least basic understanding of those persons and what they do. This is what the Apostles' Creed from second, third century communicated. Um, and this creed was used as a baptismal creed. It was used to train candidates for baptism. And, and then usually on Easter, then on, those candidates were baptized in the ancient church. And so the creed starts off with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. There, there's the first person of the Trinity. Then the second section, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So that second section is about Christ the Son, right? And then I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so now you have this third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit. And so why why would they use that to train? candidates for baptism because they're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they need to know who those persons are and what they do. And so that creed is some of the basics of what it means to believe rightly about God. So this is the first part of how you make a disciple. You got to make sure they believe rightly about God. And that doctrine's not merely agreed with, but it's professed, right? It's professed. Uh, by an overt act of baptism, right? This is where that teaching kind of tips into training. You aren't just asking people to learn stuff, although you are, but you're calling people to believe with their whole person, body and soul. That's probably what you're communicating when you put their whole bodies under the water and bring them out. You're saying they're not just uh, baptizing their brains and saying, I agree with something they're saying, no, I I am professing body and soul, my belief in, my trust in this gospel uh, truth. And so this this training of, of, of understanding right belief is so important in making a disciple, making an apprentice of Jesus. But it's not just right belief, it's also training in how you live your daily life. That's the second part of what Jesus tells them to do. He says, teach them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you. And so this is obviously a big topic, right? There's a lot of commands in Scripture and lots of things to uh, learn about and then begin to practice on a daily basis, which is also a process of figuring out how do I do this on uh, a regular basis. But a few examples of of what apprentices of Jesus uh, must learn to practice would be how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to rest, How to work, how to serve others, how to steward one's life and time and body and uh, money and their stuff, right? How to share the gospel with other people and many other things. And so this is uh, something that is taught, right? You teach them to observe. You teach them to obey um, what Scripture teaches about um, the Christian walk. And so this is this ongoing process that's happening in the church of teaching people right belief and right practice. This is how you make a disciple. This is how you make a disciple. And this is how God is fulfilling His resolution to create a people from all the peoples of the earth. As He's calling His church to make disciples by teaching them right belief and teaching them right practice. And this is who is doing it, right? Is, is the church, not just the pastor, not just the leaders, but every Christian, right? The way that these disciples get made is that the disciples of Jesus make disciples. That's part of being a disciple. You have to learn how to observe and obey that command to make uh, disciples. That's also a massive topic um, to, to, to help people make the disciples. But it, again, it's a process, right? It's, it takes development of people as they learn how to not just be disciples, but to then make disciples of other human beings. Um, so, again, what is to be done? We're going to make disciples or apprentices of Jesus. How is it to be done? We train in belief and practice. And who is going to do it? All of us, right? We're all in it. development of being disciple-makers. And the place you do that is in the church. It's in the church. When Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church, right? the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This, this building of the church is this disciple-making endeavor that's happening in and through the church. The church that He says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. The church that He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, this, is, this is where God's activity of this disciple-making endeavor is occurring. And so the way you get involved in this is, one, you've got to join Jesus through faith in Christ, right? You've got to admit that you're a sinner, admit that you need Him to save you and to come to Him in faith. And then you join His church, right? As, as you join Him, you then join His church. And membership... Like having a formal membership is a tool for facilitating that, right? And so we have a membership class, which many of you have, have been through, and you heard the belief, and you heard the practices of the church, and you said, sign me up. I believe that, and I want to participate in practicing those things uh, with a, a, a local body known as Ridgetop Church. We use this little uh, five-devotion uh, picture here to, to, to remind us of the basics, the practices, right? Uh, and at the center, as I said before, is worship, right? The worship of Jesus. And out of that, then we are um, being, we're continuing to study and apply His Word. We're continuing in prayer, We're continuing to be in fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're continuing to be on mission as we uh, live out in the world and those things as we experience them they go back into worship right the more word you get the more you want to worship Jesus the more prayer you get the more you want to worship Jesus the more fellowship you get the more you want to worship Jesus the more mission you participate in the more you worship Jesus and this is what we're going to be talking about over the next 2 weeks Uh, in more detail, because we want to go back at least once a year, remind ourselves, what did we sign up for? What did we sign up for that we believe and we practice uh, as a church? And then after we do the next couple weeks of of teaching, then we'll actually have like a recommitting ourselves as a church uh, to the the five devotions uh, that you see there and inviting others to come and be a part of that with us. And we'll have another membership class, and we'll encourage people to come and and join in with that. We're reminded of the kind of resolve that God has in creating a people for Himself when we come to this table. Think about Jesus on the night in which He's betrayed, the night before His death. He took bread, and He broke it, and He gave it to His disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given... For you. Was He saving individuals? Yes, absolutely. He was also saving all y'all, right? Uh, Like He's saying to His disciples, I I am saving a people for myself. I mean, the reason He chose 12 disciples in in part was to show that continuity between the Old Testament 12 tribes and the New Testament 12 apostles. And He's saying, I am creating a people for myself. And it's going to take me going to a cross and laying down my life. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He was letting them know and using that covenant language that that New Testament people of God wasn't just a bunch of individuals, but actually he was still resolute in bringing a people to himself in covenant, except now that people was being drawn from all the peoples of the earth. So when we take this, we're remembering that, remembering not only what God did for us as an individual through Christ, but also what he's done for us as a community as we live together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's pray. God, we give you thanks and praise for this vision of yours to create a people for yourself that you have, have formed and shaped and loved and protected and are building up even now. Thank you for this uh, local expression of that in, at Ridgetop Church and the way that we've seen you draw together a new congregation that is expressing these truths. God, we pray you would protect us, Lord. You would strengthen us, that you would give us wisdom for the days ahead, for 2024. Uh, we we thank you for what you've done to make that possible, God. And we are grateful that we get to be family together because of the gospel. And that, that, that this these family relationships aren't just for this life, but the life to come. And that you have bought and paid for that. And so we are thankful for that. We remember that today. We pray your blessing over the bread and the cup and our time together as we take it and as we worship you. Just as those disciples worshiped you on that mountain in Galilee and heard your commission, Lord, we worship you this morning and we hear yet again your commission to make disciples of all nations. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.